The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week for episode number 86. My goodness gracious, y'all are still here. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that, and especially this week, because, oh my God, what a crazy, insane, brutal week for the music industry. I mean, I mean, first of all, crazy because I mean, all kinds of stuff going on in the big label world. Uh, L.A. Reid out as CEO of Epic Records uh, under a cloud of sexual harassment allegations. I mean, L.A. Reid, one of the titans of the industry, and you know these are shocking allegations, and it's going to be a tumultuous time for the big labels. But I don't even want to focus on that because I'm just too crushed about hearing about Chris Cornell. Would you accuse me of being a prisoner of the moment, of perhaps being caught up in the wake of this terrible tragedy, if I were to say that we have just lost one of the ten best rock band frontmen who have ever lived? I mean, Chris Cornell was a giant. And it's a shame I don't have Dave here this week, because and what I'm about to bring up is just one tiny thing that he's done in his career, but Dave is a huge James Bond fan. And remind me, listeners, when he comes in next week, I want to ask him if he thinks that the Casino Royale theme that he did, You Know My Name, is the best James Bond theme ever written. I'll say this. It is my favorite of the James Bond themes, and I think it's the best one. It is a great, great song. It captures the raw power, violence, sexuality, coolness of the James Bond franchise and it's just one of the many, many amazing things about Chris Cornell's career. I mean, Soundgarden, Audio Slave. I mean, I'll say this about Soundgarden. In terms of bands that sound the most like what they sound like live and on the record sounding exactly the same, I think Soundgarden leads the pack with that. Whenever they play live, it sounds so much like the record. You can tell that when they're in the studio, there's not a bunch of extra stuff and sweeteners added on top of it. It's just great, great music, and Chris Cornell was the man behind that, and it just sucks that we've lost him so, so young. And, you know, from that, we have to now go into the rest of the show, and that's kind of depressing. Um, but it is a good show. We, I am excited for this week. A lot of cool stuff to talk about. Let's get through the housekeeping first. Reach out to us. Uh, there are many ways to get in touch with the Break the Business podcast, and I would hope that you guys can avail yourself of it. I think you would agree that the more that you guys contribute in terms of sending us some criticism or just dropping us a line or asking us questions that you want us to answer on the show— or proposing topics that you want us to talk about on the show, whether they're music-related or pop culture-related, it makes the show better. As much as it pains me to say it, I think you, the listeners, are better at coming up with content topics than Dave and I are, because you guys are the musicians that are out there every day, making it happen, moving your careers forward, and I'm just some entertainment lawyer guy working behind a desk. And I understand that I am somebody who helps you in your career, but you're the ones living it. And so you guys tend to come up with the best questions and, and the best content topics. And so I hope that you can send us some uh, some stuff that you want us to talk about. You can email the show at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter and talk to me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. You can follow Dave on Twitter. He's out this week, but he should be back next week at MetalDave85. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash break the business. All those ways are great ways to get in touch with us, and we hope to hear from you. There's also a Break the Business website. I always forget to bring this up. Yeah, we actually have a website. All the episodes are there. You can get a link to the Break the Business book. It's kind of a nice-looking website. It's a shame I don't promote it more because it, it's pretty good-looking. That's just breakthebusiness.com. And the fact that we got the Break the Business domain name and with no funky stuff after, it's not breakthebusiness123.com. It's just breakthebusiness.com. Check it out. It's a cool website. You can throw us some rates and reviews and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher, and just avail yourself of all that stuff. Oh, and by the way, I bring this up each week, and it's getting closer and closer. What are we, uh, 
less than two weeks out from my audiobook coming out June 2nd. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Guys, guys, thank you, thank you. Uh, this is completely unprompted. I, I appreciate the fanfare, but... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a man. I'm just a man, you know, making, making audio books, recording stuff. And I hope you guys check it out. So that book's my audio book, the audio book version of break the business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry comes out June 2nd. I'm so excited. It was so much fun just being in the studio and recording that. It gave me a newfound appreciation for what you musicians go through in the recording studio because I thought I was going to breeze through that audiobook narration experience. How hard can it be to read from a book? But when you get in that room, that sound isolation booth, and you got the engineer staring across from you, and it's a you know tight room, and you close that door, and just all the sound gets sucked out. You hear that that sound of the studio door closing, that sound, and just all the it's like all the oxygen leaves the room. And then you hear the engineer say, okay, let's get ready to do this. And just, oh, it's, it's nerve wracking. And so I have a newfound appreciation for particularly you vocalists out there who have to perform in that studio. It's a, it's a crazy experience, but the book's out. I think it came out pretty well. And I look for you forward for you guys. I look forward, I should say, to you guys checking it out June 2nd. But speaking of things I'm excited about, oh my goodness gracious, coming up in the next segment, our guest this week Ms. Shawnee Kilgore. She is a folk artist from Austin, Texas. A wonderful singer. So good. Such a great voice. So soulful. Such a rare talent. She's got an EP out uh, called Back to Eden, which she made with Joss Whedon. That's right. Yeah, that Joss Whedon. Not some other Joss Whedon. The Joss Whedon you're thinking of, that's the Joss Whedon she did this with. And I know you have lots of questions. When I say that Joss Whedon made a record with Shawnee Kilgore, you have lots of questions, and I understand that. And don't worry, we're going to answer all of them. You're going to find out how Joss Whedon and our guest Shawnee Kilgore met. You're going to find out how they got to collaborating. You're going to find out how Joss Whedon got interested in making folk music with Shawnee Kilgore. Well, don't worry, we're going to get to all that stuff, because I'm curious about it too, and we're going to talk to her all about it in the next segment and uh, I think we're going to get you pretty excited to check out her album, her EP, Back to Eden, because I've listened to it, and it's pretty good. She's very, very, very good. But before we bring her in, let's just talk a little bit about what's going on in the music industry this week. A cool article that I read that I wanted to talk with you guys about a little bit. Uh, gets a little psychological. I think it's going to be fun. But first, I have an idea. I have an idea for something, and I want to pitch it to you and see what you guys think. I I don't have any imaging for this segment that I want to propose because I don't even know if it's a good idea. But here's what I'm thinking. And you guys email me, breakthebusiness.com, or tweet me at Ryan K-A-I, or let me know what you think of this. I want to do a tweet of the week where on my Twitter I find just a good tweet about the music industry and indie artists and moving your careers forward and then I bring it up on the show. And sometimes it's going to be a big industry name, and sometimes it might not be. It might be from somebody you've never heard of who just said something really insightful, and it's going to be a tweet of the week. And so we're going to try it first this week. And you let me know if you guys like this. If you are digging on the tweet of the week, we'll keep this going. If not, let's just pretend like this never happened. But my tweet of the week for this inaugural maiden voyage of this tweet of the week segment comes from Ari Hurston, his Ari's Take Twitter account. And by the way, if you're not following this guy on Twitter... He's probably the most informed, knowledgeable person when it comes to indie music and how to create a good DIY music career, and he's definitely a good follow. So that's Ari's Take, A-R-I-S-T-A-K-E. And Ari Hurston's a great musician in his own right, so you should also follow him at Ari Hurston if you just want to check out his music as a musician. But on May 19th, Ari's Take, at Ari's Take, wrote this. The most important thing you should remember is to be authentic. If you're a goofball, be a goofball. If you're an angry introvert, be an angry introvert. And he's talking about all of that in the context of your indie music career, in case you needed some uh, context for that. And he's absolutely right. There is so much pressure in the music industry to fit into a box, to be like the things that have come before you. You, you hear what's on the radio now, and you think to yourself, I got to be just like that. I have to fit into the mold of the stuff that's worked before 
And what Ari's telling you, and you got to take it from Ari because he knows what he's talking about. He is doing really well for himself as an indie artist, is you have to be honest with yourself. When you project yourself out into the world, be that person because you're going to be that person better than you're going to be somebody else. It's You're always better off being authentic there. And in terms of trying to be like the stuff that's on the radio now, that's always kind of a foolish idea. You want to be forward-looking. Think of it this way. The song you're writing right now, the song you're working on right now in your bedroom, let's say that song is going to become the next big hit, hypothetically. If it does become the next big hit, it's realistically not going to be the next big hit for at least 6 to 12 months from now. So anything that's going to happen for you in your career is going to be happening with that song is going to be happening six months to 12 months from now at a minimum, which means, and and you can think about how much the industry changes and how much pop culture trends change in six months to 12 months. Think about the artists that were popular a year ago that nobody cares about right now. Or think about the artists that are famous now who were also famous a year ago and how much they've changed. I mean, look at Miley Cyrus, for God's sake. Think about like that Malibu song she has out versus Wrecking Ball. So, Artists are always changing. The industry is always changing. What's popular now is not going to be what's popular a year from now. So don't try to gauge what the next big thing is going to be by what has come before. Be true to you. Ari is, Hurston is absolutely right there. All right. So that's our tweet of the week. You let me know. Do you like that? Do you like the kind of, here's the quick tweet. Let's talk about it before we move into the real article. Let me know. Send me a tweet at Ryan K-A-I-R and maybe we'll keep that segment going. Great article this week that I want to talk about from Bass Grassmeyer in Sync Blog. It's the article title is called How Musicians Gamify Their Fan Bases. And the article is all about how musicians can use gamification with their fans to help promote their, their careers and promote themselves. And I know your first question right off the bat. So let's just get right to it. What on earth is gamification? A good question. Gamification, it's all about using the psychology and elements of game playing, usually video games is the kind of gamification we're talking about here, using the psychology of video games in other areas of activity. So notions like, concepts like point scoring, quest completion, earning badges, using that kind of psychology in other areas such as marketing. And so what this article talks about is how musicians can use gaming psychology this kind of gaming aspects that make video games so addictive and exciting for the people who play them, using that psychology to inspire music fans to help music fans promote artists and that artist's career activities. So how does that work? Well, Grassmeyer gives a couple cool examples in the article. Again, you can find this article in Sync Blog. It's called How Musicians Gamify Their Fan Bases. And one of the examples he gives is a Kylie Minogue album Back in 2012, remember Kylie Minogue? Yeah, she's pretty great. Um, both 2012 Kylie Minogue and 1980s Kylie Minogue, and she's pretty cool now. She's just all all around awesome person. Yay for you, Kylie Minogue. Anyway, she puts out an album back in 2012. All right, and she uses what's called a tweet to unlock game, where she has her fans tweet out a hashtag of hers, and every time that hashtag gets tweeted by her fans, it moves a tally counter on our website so every time somebody does the hashtag or tweets out the hashtag the little tally counter moves up one more unit and once that counter hits twenty five thousand, she tells her fans that they'll get to watch a new brand new premiere of a kylie minogue music video so once once she gets her twenty five thousand hashtags and that counter moves to twenty five thousand, she'll premiere a new music video this is a cool idea this campaign has a lot of great elements it's get First of all, it gets Kylie Minogue a lot of promotion for her music because she's got 25,000 of her hashtags flying out into the universe. And then those you know hashtags you know bear retweets. And now she's got a lot of promotion for herself. And so it's a win for her. It's a win for their fa- her fans too because they at the end of this rainbow, they get the music video that they want to see. So she gets promoted. The fans get the cool music video. Everybody's happy. But here's what makes gamification interesting. More than that, what made the campaign good was not just the fact that the fans got this external reward of the music video that they wanted to see. What made the campaign good and what made it successful, which makes 
most gamification programs successful is the internal motivation aspect. And this isn't something that the, the sync blog article goes into deeply, but I think it does warrant some elaboration because this is what makes video games and gamification and gaming psychology such a powerful thing. So there's a lot of science out there that suggests that human beings are more driven by internal motivation than being motivated by external rewards. There's actually a whole book on this uh, called, and if you haven't checked out this book, it's a great one. It's called Drive by Daniel Pink. It's such a powerful book about what drives people, what motivates people. I actually read Drive before I started my legal career, and I can tell you that it was probably the most important book I've ever read in terms of guiding me to what I've wanted to achieve in my life and what I continue to do to achieve the things I want to achieve. So if you're looking for one of those books that's just going to kind of change your whole worldview and how you look at things, get a copy of that, uh, Drive by Daniel Pink. And aside from everything else, it's a short read, so there you go. But anyway, this idea that, and, 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 and what Drive talks about is this idea that humans are more driven by internal motivation than external rewards. And you see this everywhere, including even in the workplace. So there, there are studies out there that have shown that the, great, the greatest motivator of employees in the workplace, what makes them more happy and more productive, is not external rewards. It's not higher salaries. It's not bonuses. You know, it's, it's not the, the Cadillac Eldorado and the set of steak knives from Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. It's not that external stuff. What makes employees motivated are internal motivations. It's jobs that, ha that, that give employees autonomy and give them a sense of internal purpose and accomplishment. So chances are, even if you're not making as much as the highest salaried people in your field, you're probably going to love your job if it gives you a sense of freedom, a sense of purpose, it, and a sense of accomplishment. And so think about it right now. If one of the reasons that you might be happy in your music career, if you are a happy musician, is because of those internal drivers. You probably love having control over your life and uh, feeling that internal sense of accomplishment when you write a new song. And I'm guessing it's not the external rewards that drive you because frankly, if it was, you probably wouldn't be in the music business. But anyway, the point is what's true in the workplace in terms of internal motivation is also true in marketing. And that's why this idea of gamification can be such a valuable strategy for you as a musician in promoting your music career. So what made Kylie's gamification campaign successful was not merely the external reward of giving her fans that new music video premiere if they tweeted out the hashtag 25,000 times. It was the internal motivation for her fans. It was the tally counter. It was watching that counter slowly go up. That's what really drove her fans. It's that internal motivation. It's that... It's that internal motivation that makes video games, this idea of gamification, this is what makes video games so addicting. I mean, think about video games and what keeps you playing them. Video games don't need to give you external awards to get you to keep playing. You don't get a check in the mail if you beat Skyrim. You're driven by the internal inherent satisfaction of leveling up, of your work leading to a direct recognition of your effort. You like winning badges. You like getting achievements. You like platinuming a game. You know, when you get, you know, hundred percent of all the things that you can do in a game, it's cool to say that, you, oh, I platinum Skyrim. That gives you an internal sense of satisfaction and it, and what's makes those games addicting. You don't need to get, you know, nobody has to pay you to play these games that are exciting. It's the internal motivation. And so what I would say is that if I were to hazard a guess with respect to this Kylie Minogue campaign, I don't think that campaign would have been as successful without the internal motivation, without that little tally counter going up. And so building internal motivation in your own gamification marketing campaigns, if you want to do this as an artist, is a critical element of it being successful. So make your marketing campaign successful by making, by using the same psychological internal gamification motivation concepts that make video games so dang fun. So how can you do that? Well, let's, let's talk about some hypothetical examples. So what if, for example, you were to find ways to build ranking systems and badges, those internal motivation gamification aspects 
with your fan base. So maybe you give your fans a virtual badge on your website that they can display on your website's fan forum if they tweet out a certain number of tweets on your behalf, or if they contribute a certain amount of money to your crowdfunding campaigns, or if they write a certain number of blog posts about you, you give them different badges and, and internal rewards and you know moving up in levels and things like that. And yes, you can reward your fans externally for those things as well. If you want to give them free concert tickets or give them access to exclusive content or things like that, you can certainly do that. But don't forget about the internal rewards that make video games so addicting, that makes gamification such a successful, successful strategy. Anyway, be sure to check out this article because it is cool and it has lots of extra resources that can help you gamify your music promotion. Again, the title of the article, if you got your pen handy, is How Musicians Gamify Their Releases and it's in Sync Blog and uh, it was written by Bosk Rossmeyer. It was really great stuff. Fantastic stuff. All right, people. Shawnee Kilgore coming up in the next segment. Thank you very much for listening to the Break the Business Podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. She is a singer-songwriter from Austin, Texas, who was rated the number one songwriter of distinction by Texas Music Magazine, an honor shared by artists such as Casey Musgraves and Leon Bridges. On May 1st, she released Back to Eden, an EP in which she collaborated with Hollywood writer-director Joss Whedon. You can check her out at www.shawneekilgore.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Shawnee Kilgore is on the Break the Business podcast. Hey, Shawnee, thanks so much for joining us. Ryan, thanks for having me. Um, I am thrilled to have you. Um, there are so many things about your career that I want to talk about because you do so many things well. And I know my listeners who just heard my intro are saying, what? She collaborated with Joss Whedon? Talk to her about Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon. And we will. We will talk to her about <laughs> Joss Whedon. Back off, listeners. Hang on. Because Shawnee is a terrific artist. She does a lot of cool things. And I want to get to a couple of those things first. So first question, Shawnee, what's Joss Whedon like? I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding, kidding. No, can you tell the He's listeners? Lame. No. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell the listeners a little bit about your sound if they're not familiar with your marvelous music? Oh, my sound. Well, um, I, I kind of, I call it folk Americana music and kind of what that means, uh, in terms of what I do, I finger pick a lot and I sing a lot of words. I really try to cram as many uh, into a song as possible. Um, but yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, guitar, finger picked, uh, truth, poetic uh, package, kind of. That's, that's what I go for. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, I, that, that's, that's a really apt description. Like that really captures, I think, like when I listen to your music, like it, it, it is kind of a, cause I, I was trying to figure out how to best place your genre. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it is like a folk Americana fusion. I like that. Yeah. Uh, a constant theme we talk about on this podcast is this idea of hyper creation. And this is, I'm so excited to have you on for this reason, because the most successful artists out there in the new music industry are always the ones who can take advantage of today's modern technology to make and release as much new content as they can for their fans. It's cheaper than ever to make, distribute, promote, and to fund your music. And so the most successful artists are going to be the ones who can put out as much music as they can under those favorable circumstances. And you, Shawnee, are quite the hyper creator. You've been making a new song every week for over three years. How on earth do you stick to such a schedule? And can you talk a little bit about how the crowdfunding platform Patreon fits into all of that for you? Yeah, so yeah, so over three years, I think it's December 2013, um, uh, I was asked to join um, an online songwriting group. It was gonna be a year-long challenge, so every week we would get an email 
that would have a song prompt on it and we would have to write the song and turn it back in, you know, by midnight, the, you know, a week later. Um, and if you didn't, you got kicked out of the group and, uh, Oh my I, God. Well, yeah. I mean, they had, you know, there was a little leniency, but, um, but yeah, I really thought hard about that. You know, if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it fully. And, um, and I, I, so I, I said, yes, okay. Uh, and then just a couple months, I think, into that, um, a different um, one of my favorite singer songwriters in the world um, asked me to be uh, a part of his group that was doing the same thing on, you know, so now I had like Sundays and Wednesdays. Um, so I was writing two songs a week. And um, I don't know, it was just when you have to write a song, there's a deadline, you know, I would always wait till the last minute, of course. And then um, <laughs> It's, it's just very liberating in that way because it doesn't have to be good. You don't have time to censor. You don't have time to even think about it. You just have to make a song. And, um, and that was just extremely liberating to me. And when it was, you know, it's like a muscle. And, uh, you know, at, over time, it's like, okay, you no, know, I have an hour. I have to sit down and write a song. And, you know, and I just make it happen. And, again, it didn't, doesn't have to be good. So, um, but, um so actually, I, I will admit the last two months, um, I really did have to uh, take a break. But um, so I did. OK, so the Patreon thing, I started in on that. I was like, well, I'm already writing these songs. Like after the one group ended, the one was still going. And um, so, yeah, and I, I wanted people to hear them because they were there and they existed and they were just going into a, you know, dark file on my computer not being heard by anyone so um yeah so i started to post them on patreon and it was very interesting often i was in my you know pajamas recording these songs onto my iphone and you know five minutes later they're up there um, on the internet for people to hear and um and and it's awesome um but yeah the last two months i've i've I have taken a break from writing the brand new songs and I've been posting some of the older songs from, you know, from the two years before, <laughs> before I started the Patreon. So, um, I'm, I'm allowing my ego to be okay with the fact that I <laughs> needed to take a break for, for just a little bit on that. Well, so. you've been kind of sort of putting an EP out, but you know, but I have about a thousand follow-up questions. First of all, you've been so when when I when I read that you were writing a song a week, you weren't putting these out for a long time. You were just putting these in a drawer. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, I would write them, I would send them to the group, and then you know, nine out of ten or nineteen out of twenty of them would, yeah, never. I would never, I never played them again. So. Wow. And yeah. and so, how much do you attribute the success of you being able to hyper create for so many years? to this group that you had? Is it sort of like you're more likely to go to the gym if you have a workout buddy that kind of keeps you accountable? Oh my God. Yeah. I can't say enough about that. Um, and I'm really itching. Like it's been like two months, I think since I've written, I just, I finally wrote a, a new song again this week. And I was like, I kind of feel like I forget how to do this. Um, but yeah, having, having a prompt or having someone to be accountable to, I mean, even if it's yourself, like give yourself a deadline, but we all probably know that that's not the most, you know, effective. Um, but yeah, I didn't want to let my group down for sure. And, uh, yeah. And my, my, my ego started to get really, really into it. And it's like, even if I wasn't turning it into the group, it's like, I have to finish. So, <laughs> and yeah. So. And, and so the way that this, um, this works with Patreon is your, your patrons can donate or pledge, you know, a certain, a certain amount of money for every song you put out each week. And then this gives them access to these songs you're putting out each week. Yeah. So yeah, I'm about to have in a couple more weeks. Um, I'm going to be at week 100, um, on Patreon. So that means anyone who joins my Patreon now, yeah, ha gets access to everything I've ever posted on there, which I forget the exact number. It's something like 175 songs because I've been posting old bonus stuff. I've been posting some of the old like punk songs from my high school years. Um, cause they have a, you know, Patreon does like bonuses and, and milestone goals and stuff too. So there's just, there's a ton of content up there that is literally nowhere else. <laughs> That's very, very cool. All right. Um, man, there's this, this hyper creation. Like you, you really, you really have it down to a science with this, uh, with this stuff. You know, oh you, you tie it to your crowdfunding. You have a group that you, you do it with. Uh, what happens when you're, you know, how do you like, because I'm sure that there's plenty of weeks where you have 24 hours left or less 
to kind of get that song out? You know, what do you do to kind of just get that inspiration and, you know, write stuff quickly when you're under such a deadline? Do you have any sort of tricks to get yourself where you need to be? Um, oh gosh. I mean, aside from just saying force it out, I mean, that's literally what I do sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I think the having a prompt, having a phrase to work with has been really helpful for me because, you know, the words are in your head and then the words will form, you know, inevitably form some sort of rhythm, some sort of melody and just whatever the first spark is that comes, I just grab it and commit and, you know, and just run with it. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be good. I can't stress that enough. Um, if I made sure that I was sitting down to write a good song or to write a song, it would never, ever happen. Well, yeah, but you know, I mean, this whole idea of this hyper creation club is just a a cool element of this. Uh, definitely more artists need to be getting to do that. All right. All right. All right. I I can already (laughs) hear the, the Whedonites beating down my door. Okay. People let's talk a bit, Shawnee, about your new EP that came out this month, back to Eden which you made with Hollywood writer, director, producer, Joss Whedon. Okay. A hundred questions, but I got to pick only the best ones here. Cause this, this just inspires so many questions on my part. How on earth did you get to collaborating with Joss Whedon and what's it been like to work with him? So I, um, so in 2014, um, I did my, my first Kickstarter campaign, my first and only Kickstarter campaign, um, for my last full length album, and, um, yeah, a couple weeks in, I got a pledge from Joss Whedon. I was like, I know that name. Wait, why, why do I know that name? Um, and, uh, yes, I had, to, I had, to, I asked my boyfriend and he's like, no, you know, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer Avengers. I'm like, oh my God, that guy. Whoa, that's weird. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, so I, you know, I waited it out, and at the end of the campaign, um, his reward was a personalized song written for him. So I, you know, sent an email and said thank you, and you know, it was like cool. How, you know, let's let's write a song. How do you want to do this? And um, so we started talking about that song and bounced some ideas back and forth. And um, and I was working on that, and um, but you know, a few days later, a week later, um, he emailed and he said that the song from my Kickstarter video had gotten into his head and it had spun off this other set of lyrics and um, he wondered if I would want to put music to them because you know I helped inspire it kind of thing um, and uh, you know like yes yes please and um, so yeah he sent the lyrics to Big Giant Me over and yeah like 24 hours later it just I took a night and the song just happened and I sent it back and he loved it and um, yeah. And we figured, well, that was cool. Uh, you know, <laughs> let's, let's maybe let people hear that somehow. How are we going to do that? And, um, yeah. And we just decided to keep going and, and see what happened. Um, well, did Joss ever tell you how he came across you originally? Like, it was random. did he it Google folk Americana he- and... I I'm, I don't know. He he claims to have had a, a, a Kickstarter addiction, um, you know, for for a short time. He was uh, filming the Avengers. He was often away from home in hotel rooms, and um, yeah, just went on a, a Kickstarter bender for a little while. So. <laughs> wow, and yeah, and so he collaborates you with collaborates with you on these with uh, songwriting. So what kind of songwriter is he like? Because frankly, when I was listening to these songs, I was surprised to hear this music with his name attached to it because it sounds so different than what I would have expected from the guy who directed the Avengers movies. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually, I mean, he, he is very musical. Um, and he's done, you know, he's done some of the, the musical, the songs in Buffy and he had the whole Dr. Horrible, Mm -hmm. um, blog and all that. Um, but yeah, this was kind of his, his first venture into getting, um, I mean, everything that he writes is very personal, but this, you know, this was like his name, his words. Um, so yeah, this was, this was kind of his first venture into, you know, actually singing about himself kind of. And, um, yeah. And I, he, I guess just heard my voice as a, as a, a comfortable, um, and inspiring, uh, you know, sort of, sort of path to, you know, to make those songs happen. So. Wow. I mean, you, I would say you brought out a side of him that I did, don't think people knew about. 
mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's got to feel pretty impressive for you. It's it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting how, um, just how absolutely comfortable and organic, like our friendship and our relationship has been, you know, just since the very beginning, like I, you know, I, I was like, I, I should be so intimidated right now. I should be so like, <laughs> you know, insecure about what I'm doing. And it just was never, it was just never like that. He's just such a, such an amazing and humble human being. And, um, well, yeah, I, and, I really appreciated that and, about, about him. And in a way, like, I mean, the, the, despite his fame in Hollywood, I imagine the power dynamic has to be at least a little more on your side because, you know, you've been making music for a long time. You've written a lot more than he has, just, you know, even though he is certainly, you know, a, a songwriter in his own right. So, I mean, yeah. a lot of it's sort of like, you know, I know you're the, you know, multi-million dollar, you know, box office bonanza Hollywood director, but let me sort of let you into my world and show you how it works. That's gotta be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was really sweet, you know, it was a very, um, I just, yeah, it was a very special thing to be, to be trusted with, um, those words and those feelings and, um, and, uh, generally how he, you know, big giant me was, he sent lyrics to me and then, um, you know, back to Eden was the same way he sent lyrics and two of the other songs happened that way as well. Um, and then, um, unforgiven was a bit more, he sent a, a chorus of him singing and playing on the piano and then we built from there. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, just getting those words and, and just trying to hear, you know, he, hear what they sounded like and hear what that song was going to be. And, um, yeah. And, and apparently we were, we were really connected in that way because n none of those songs were, you know, I was like, okay, I hear it, you know, and I'd write it and send <laughs> it back, you know, gen generally within, within a couple days. Um, but, yeah. So, so I mean, be, and because of where you guys were based, a lot of this collaboration is happening virtually, which is a way a lot of collaboration is happening in music these days. A lot of people are. Uh, yeah. You know, I didn't. I didn't know where he was most of the time. I didn't know <laughs> what time zone he was in, what country he was in. You know, it didn't matter. Um, um, but yeah, we we put out. Uh, we wrote Big Giant Me. We emailed all back and forth about how to put it out. Like I talked to his lawyer on the phone. I talked to his agent on the phone. Like I talked to everyone else on the phone, but him. And then we put big giant me out. And, uh, yeah, after it was, you know, after that, like, do you want to talk on the phone? Do you want to have a conversation? <laughs> um, so, wow. uh, yeah. So, and, and we didn't, we didn't meet until, you know, the next year or so. Wow. I imagine most of the listeners are so amazed and happy for you, but there's got to be at least a small minority that is somewhat bitter because they think that the reason why there isn't a new season of Firefly is because Joss is too busy working with you on albums. But Oh, that's not true at all. <laughs> <laughs> like we would have had Infinity War by now if, she, if he wasn't working on this EP. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's oh god, that what a cool, cool story. It, it it speaks to the power of crowdfunding and how you know the internet and the web has brought music collaboration, you know, on, on, you know, as as brought you know as ended geography and everybody can be in the same room even if you're on other sides of the world and you can make beautiful music with somebody no matter where they are on the planet, including Joss Whedon of all people. Um, and now. I want to play for the listeners the fruits of uh, the two of your labors. Uh, we have the title track of your EP that's out now, Back to Eden, and we're going to play it right now on the Break the Business podcast. Blackbird on the bar Picking cherries from a tin There's a scream of daylight Every time the door swings someone in There's a gleaming copper pool of warm Can wash away I ask where I 
And that was Back to Eden by Shawnee Kilgore and Joss Whedon here on the Break the Business podcast. Where can people find that EP? That EP is, um, I think, everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely iTunes, um, CD Baby, Bandcamp, Spotify. Um, there are probably 30 to 50 to 100 other sites that I'm not sure the names of, but, <laughs> and, um, but it is out there. And, and I'm sure after hearing that, you're going to have people who are going to be fans of you more than you had before where can people find you online to discover more about you um well www.shawneekilgore.com is good um uh if people want to check out the patreon that's um patreon.com slash shawneekilgore um and yeah facebook.com shawneekilgore music um i'm a huge fan of instagram uh i take pretty photos. Um, and that is also Shawnee Kilgore. Um, great thing about having a, a, an unusual name is that is my, that is my tag for, for <laughs> everywhere. So, <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. And, you know, as, as a fellow member of the unusual name club, it's really nice to be able to get any 
you know, to get your Twitter handle without any difficulty or, you know, a website name without any difficulty. Finally, Shawnee, uh, last question. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? You know, there's a piece of advice I got. I don't know if it was advice, but um, something that I heard that I will remember for the rest of my life. Um, It almost sounds like anti-advice, but um, I was at a big music conference in L.A. Tons of people running around, people trying to show their best, learn all they can, um, you know, completely soul-sucking, overwhelming (laughs) um, place and time uh, for me to be in. And I was in the the last class of the day that I went to. I'm blanking on the guy's name. It might be Michael Anderson. Um, but he said that he said that the world doesn't need another hit song and that the world needs your light. I was like, Oh my God, wow. that, it, just, it just struck so much. It just resonated with me so much. And it's such a fine line between creating things that people want and creating things that are the most genuine, um, you that you can put out there. Um, and yeah, I would just say, I guess, don't, don't ever lose sight of that light and try to nurture that as much as possible. And sometimes there will be the, you know, give people what they want, but, um, you know, but the most, I mean, the most genuine, amazing people out there are, um, yeah, you just, you have to be true to, to your voice and what you do, even if it doesn't feel as good as, you know, I mean, comparison is absolutely the, the killer of everything good in the world. (laughs) Um, so yeah, just let your, let your light shine. Beautiful. Shawnee, thank you so much for being on the show. Please don't be a stranger. We want to have you on again real soon. Thank you so much, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. We'll be right back on the break the business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Shawnee Kilgore for joining us in the previous segment. Man, that was fun. I learned way more about what's going on in Joss Whedon's head than I ever thought, and that song was amazing, and I'm in such a good mood now. Get yourself a copy of her EP, Back to Eden, which she made in a collaboration with Joss Whedon. That's right, that Joss Whedon. Man, what a cool interview. A quick note about that EP. I believe I said during the interview that... Uh, the EP came out uh, this this month in May. Um, Shawnee was nice enough to tell me after the interview and not during it because she didn't want to correct me, which was very sweet of her. But it actually came out back in October. But either way, it's sort of neither here nor there because the point is that EP is out now and you sh- definitely should get yourself a copy of it. Again, it's called Back to Eden, Shawnee Kilgore and Joss Whedon. Um, I hope we can have her on again because she was a treat. Uh, let's talk a little bit of pop culture stuff, even though my pop culture compatriot Dave is not here, but I can still give you the pop culture you so badly crave. I got a couple things to talk about here. Uh, first thing I saw, which was just pretty neat, a cool music thing. Um, a Harvard student, uh, turned in a thesis apparently to graduate from Harvard, uh, at the undergraduate level, I think to get like, you know, Latin honors, summa cum laude, magna cum laude, you have to write a senior thesis. And I imagine most Harvard students probably write some long kind of dissertation type thing, you know, research paper. But one Harvard student by the name of Obasi Shaw did his senior thesis as a rap album. It's a rap album which links the works of Andrew Chaucer with Barack Obama. And he got an A- minus on it. I think he got summa cum laude for it. And... I'll tell you this. It's a cool album. I gave it a listen. It's really good. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, did, I didn't think a, a stuffy Harvard kid had it in him, but it's a great album, really profound. And it was just such an interesting story because it just sort of is emblematic of what can happen 
going forward in any endeavor in this new world that we're in, in business, education, whatever it is, is you don't have to follow the rules of what came before you. You know, Obasi Shah saw all these stuffy research papers getting written for the thesis, and he probably decided for himself that he was much more capable of expressing his intellectual thoughts in the form of a rap album, in the form of music. And so he did, and apparently the people at Harvard are super chill about it, and they let him do it, and it came out really well. And it's a lesson to all of you as musicians. You don't feel like you have to play by the rules that came before. Just because artists have been putting out 12-track albums for generations doesn't mean you have to put out a 12-track album. Maybe you want to put out a new song every week and release music that way. You know, you maybe you don't have to sell your music for $9.99 on iTunes. Maybe you can give it away and make your music on licensing. The rules are changing all the time. And much like Obasi Shaw did, have the courage to see where your strengths are and to see where the world is going. And don't be afraid to try new things. So congratulations to you, the Obasi, a Harvard graduate and a really good rap artist, aside from all that. All right, I'm going to nerd out. Red alert, letting you guys know right now, uh, just... You know, if you're not into nerdy stuff, I was going to say, if you're not into nerdy stuff, just leave. But no, don't leave. I, I, I crave your listening. But I want to talk a little bit about Star Trek. And Dave's going to be so sad that he's not here for this Star Trek talk. But we got to talk about it this week because the, tr- the new trailer for Star Trek Discovery came out, you know, that sh- showed actual scenes from this upcoming TV show. There's a new Star Trek show coming out uh, this fall from what I'm hearing. And this is the first trailer that we've seen that actually shows honest to God footage from this show that's coming out. We don't have a start date yet, but we know it's fall and this trailer actually had footage. We've had some trailers before for Star Trek Discovery, but there's been no footage in them. It's just been, Hey, Star Trek Discovery's coming. All right, bye. That's pretty much the whole trailer. So this time we actually got to see the actors. We saw some plot lines. We got to see what the sets look like. And it's been our first taste of Star Trek Discovery. And I know a lot of people are hating on Star Trek Discovery. And on this podcast, we've been hating on this. And we're Star Trek fans. And there have been a lot of things about this show that have been disappointing for us that we're going to talk about right now. But I do want to talk about some of the things that are good, too. I want to make sure we give credit where credit is due. I don't just want to be one of these negative Trekkie fans. And look, I'll say this about my fellow Star Trek fans. We are a negative bunch. We are. We're just, we hate on everything that, that, that is Star Trek. You know, every Star Trek movie that comes out, we hate it. Anytime we hear news about Star Trek, we hate it. We're always hating on Star Trek. We're just negative people. And we shouldn't be. Because Star Trek has given us so much. It's a great show. It's a great franchise. It is one of the few TV shows or movie franchises set in the future that doesn't just see the future as a dystopian wasteland where we all hate each other. It's optimistic. It suggests that humanity can come together in a spirit of intellectual curiosity and exploration and and do better for the universe. And it it's got a lot of cool stuff going for it. And the the ethical discussions are interesting on that show. I'm I'm actually an ethics professor. I teach ethics at a college part time, and I often use episodes of Star Trek to discuss concepts of philosophical ethics, honest to God. If I could, honestly, if I could trick the dean of the college that I uh, teach at part-time to do this, I could totally teach an entire course in ethics built around watching episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. I swear I could do it. They articulate ethical concepts so well on these Star Trek shows. And so, look, I love Star Trek. I'm not just going to be one of these hater Star Trek fans. So let me give credit where credit's due with respect to this Star Trek Discovery trailer. First of all, it looks beautiful. Very well shot. The costumes are cool. The sets are cool. It looks sleek. We are a long way from the cardboard cutout sets of the 1960s William Shatner Star Trek. This thing looks baller. The sets are cool. The actors look cool. The uniforms are cool. It's kind of dark and grungy, but that's okay. And, you know, and I know it's supposed to be set in the past, but somehow the technology looks more modern than the Star Trek The Next Generation, which is supposed to be set later. But I'm looking past all that. I understand that movie technology and TV tech, you know, set designs upgrade. So I'm willing to look past that. I understand because it it is a beautiful looking um production. I'll give him that. And 
you know, the actors look cool and some of the plot lines look interesting. We're encountering the Klingons and so a lot of exciting stuff there. So I'll give you that Star Trek discovery. I'm giving you credit where credit's due. So you can't just say I'm a hater, but now I'm going to talk about some of the things I don't like. And there are a lot, and it's going to be the stuff that I've just been rehashing over and over, but it warrants being said. First of all, it bothers me that Star Trek Discovery is set as another prequel. This, as we've now found out from this trailer, Star Trek Discovery is going to take place before the Captain Kirk Star Trek. I think it's like 10 years before Captain Kirk shows up. So we're doing another prequel. I mean, since Star Trek The Next Generation and Voyager and Deep Space Nine, the major Star Trek properties have all been set in the past on the timeline. You had the two J.J. Abrams Star Trek, three J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies or two, either way. The the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies have all been set in the Kirk and Spock years. You have Star Trek Enterprise, which was like a super prequel. I mean, just took place way before everything. It was like, you know, Apollo 11 went up and landed on the moon and that, and then like the next day is when Star Trek Enterprises set. It was such a super ridiculous prequel. And then, and you have this one that's also set as a prequel. And I can't be the only person in the world who wants to see what happens after the next generation, who wants to see what happens in the future. I mean, when, when Star Trek The Next Generation came out, when I was, goodness gracious, I must have been... Three, three years old when it came out. So I didn't get into it until I was a little bit later, but I remember being six and seven years old watching Star Trek The Next Generation and just loving all this cool future technology that took place in Star Trek. It was the Star Trek The Next Generation gave us the holodeck, that room you walk into and, you know, they can manufacture any universe. You know, you can step into this room and all of a sudden you're on the Orient Express or you're solving a mystery with Sherlock Holmes or something like that. It was a living video game, this holodeck. That was so cool. And that takes place, you know, that technology gets created in the Star Trek The Next Generation universe. I want to see the technology that comes after that. I mean, the holodeck is so cool. What comes after the holodeck? What future awaits us after when Star Trek The Next Generation is set? We are all curious about that, but we never get to find out because every freaking Star Trek movie and TV show that's come after that Next Generation stuff is all in the past and we're just rehashing old plot lines and we're not blazing new trails and that is frustrating to me. I wish that we can get some Star Trek shows that take place in the future and granted, a lot of those fan-created Star Trek projects, those fan films, a lot of those were set later but now Start, you know, Paramount is shutting all those down and they're getting all copyright police so we don't get to see any of that. Anyway. So that's the first thing I don't like. And look, that's, and I'm not saying that Star Trek Discovery is going to be a bad show just because it's set in the past, but it'd be nice if it wasn't set in the past. If we could see some stuff that happens after Picard and after the Enterprise E, D and E, and, but we don't get to not, not this time. Maybe we got to wait another 10 years to, to see what happens next. And so that frustrates me. The next thing that frustrates me, and this just annoys me, is that that this Star Trek Discovery, only the first episode, only the pilot episode is going to be featured on actual network television on CBS. And then after that, all of the other episodes are going to be on CBS All Access, CBS's streaming-only platform. So you won't actually be able to watch this show on actual TV. You have to watch it streaming. And look, this isn't me being old guy, get off my lawn, I have to watch stuff on television. I can't remember the last time I've actually watched a TV show on TV. Everything I watch is streaming. So, and and honestly, I will pay for CBS All Access to watch Star Trek. I mean, if if you told me that Star Trek the Next Gen uh, Star Trek Discovery was only going to be shown on one TV in an igloo in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness and I had to take a team of sled dogs to get there, but you know, all of the sled dogs were sick, so I had to just ride on the back of one sled dog to get to this igloo to watch Star Trek Discovery. I'm going to watch it. And so I'm not, it's, so it's not about me saying I'm not going, you know, just because it's, it's on CBS All Access, I'm not going to watch it because I have to pay $6.95. I'm going to pay. I'm going to do it. That's not the problem. The problem is that they're making me do this, that they know that my Star Trek fandom and the fandom of all the Star Trek fans is so rabid 
that you're going to be able to squeeze the $6.95 a month out of us just to watch Star Trek. And that sucks because that's greedy. And the second problem with the CBS All Access thing is you're telling me it's sort of almost a, a waving of a white flag. CBS is, I wonder if CBS is trying to tell us that they don't think this show is going to be very good. That they don't think that they've created a product that's actually worthy of the actual CBS lineup. And so they think they have to relegate this to streaming. And that kind of sucks. You know, that the Star Trek is essentially not good enough to be real television. It can only be a CBS all access type show. And so all of that kind of makes me a little upset and a little afraid. And, but look, I'm still going to watch it because I'm a Trek fan, but I wish that they were giving this a real shot because what I think really drives my frustration with this is this idea that perhaps they're putting it on CBS all access because they don't think it's going to succeed. And I'm really afraid of this failing. I'm afraid of star Trek discovery failing because if it fails, I feel like we're not going to get another Star Trek property for a while because Paramount barely puts out Star Trek stuff as it is. We get a Star Trek movie every few years. Before the uh, before Star Trek Discovery, we haven't had a Star Trek TV show in like 10 years since Star Trek Enterprise. And so we barely get Star Trek stuff as it is. And I feel like if this project fails, we may never get a Star Trek TV series again. Or we might have to wait... 25 years before the TV network gets the courage to put more Star Trek in our lives. And that really scares me. And aside from scaring me, it makes me so jealous of Star Wars fans. And I look, I like Star Wars too, but I don't like it as much as Star Trek. And I, but I'm so jealous of you Star Wars fans because ever since Disney bought your franchise, you guys get a new movie every damn year. You get... All these cool TV projects that are currently out and are in develop you in development. You're getting all these cool video games. You're getting a damn theme park. They're building a theme park for you in in Orlando, and I and like you get to walk into it, and then you know the game it recognizes you as either a good person or a bad person based on the things you do in the park, and and you can like be part of the Star Wars experience. And oh my God, I'm so damn jealous. Why do you guys get all that stuff? Why can't we get some of that stuff? Oh God. You know what this is? I want Disney to buy Star Trek so bad. Disney, look, we know you got the money. We know you're rolling in it. And look, as much as we like to make fun of Disney because, you know, of the silly things Disney does and oh, you got your Mickey Mouse or whatever, but damn it if Disney doesn't know how to make the most out of a pop culture property. Disney buys Marvel and we get all these cool Marvel movies. Disney buys Star Wars. And instead of having to wait five years or 10 years for a Star Wars movie, we get a new one every damn year. Can you imagine what Disney could do if they bought Star Trek? If they bought Star Trek, we'd be getting TV series. We get, we would get TV series on Netflix. We'd get series on network TV. We'd get a new movie every year. There'd be a Star Wars, Star Trek theme park where you get to like dress up in a Star Trek outfit and like, you know, be on the crew of a ship and oh my god I'm already excited for this come on Disney get on this please buy buy Star Trek but here's what it comes down to though if this if you're a Star Trek fan and you're listening and this frustrates you check this out by the way listeners I'm going to bring this all back to law all right here's going to put my lawyer hat on right now if you're a Star Trek fan and you're listening to this and you're getting frustrated alongside me because you feel like Paramount is not making the most of this wonderful franchise and you hate having to wait for little crumbs of new Star Trek content every few years and you hate having to wait you know, for Star Trek Discovery, which keeps getting delayed in production, and you hate that you have to buy Star Trek on CBS All Access. If all of that stuff frustrates you, remember that this is all coming down to copyright. Here's where Law gets back into this. Star Trek is 50 years old. If this were a just world, Star Trek would be in the public domain by now. I mean, Star Trek has been around for 50 years. It should be in the public domain. But the problem is copyrights are too damn long in this country. Um, and I've, I've always been a firm believer in this. You know, copy, I've always felt that copyrights should be more like patents, where 
the time you should have a copyright is limited. And then once that time is up, which should, which could be after, I don't know, 40 years, 50 years, that thing that's been created should belong to everybody. We should have more star Wars stuff because everybody should have the right to make star Wars stuff. Kind of like how there's a lot of Sherlock Holmes stuff out there right now because Sherlock Holmes is in the public domain. And now we get all this great Sherlock Holmes stuff. And Star Trek, after 50 years, should be in the public domain. And everybody should be able to get to make Star... Or sorry, did I say Star Wars? Star Trek. Star Trek stuff. And everybody should be able to make Star Trek things right now. But, you know, we have this copyright system in this country where copyright lasts for... Can last for over a century... Because if it's an individual work, it's the life of the author plus 70 years. If it's owned by, if copyright's owned by a corporation, I think it can be like 120 years or something insane like that. And that was never the point of the copyright system. If you go back to the Constitution, and I never, and boy, did you not think, there's no way you would have thought that a Star Trek conversation would have gotten back to the U.S. Constitution. But here we are. Article 1 of the U.S. Constitution says that the reason why we have a copyright regime and why Congress can regulate copyrights is to, quote, promote the progress of science and the useful arts. And what that means is the founding fathers meant for a system of copyright to be created in which the copyright was, was you know, if you create a work, you get a copyright for lim a limited amount of time. And it even says that in the Constitution. It says for limited times, this copyright. Because the idea is that we want to give you an incentive to create something. So we'll give you a limited monopoly for a certain number of years for that copyright. But then after that, that work belongs to everybody. It should fall into the public domain so that others can build off the work that's come before you. So you get a little bit of a monopoly for a limited amount of years to incentivize you to create something. And then once you create it, after those years are up, it belongs to everybody. And now we have the science and useful arts promoted. That's how the system's supposed to work, but they've kept increasing the duration of copyrights for so long, for so many years, that now it's, you know, copyrights are damn near perpetual at this point, and in the end, we wind up with, you know, Paramount holding the copyright to Star Trek, and we only get one new Star Trek thing every 10, 15 years on television, and everybody's sad, and, you know, Star Trek Discovery might not be very good, but I'm hoping it is. I'm hoping it is, and I'm so excited. And as much as I'm hating on you, Star Trek, I can't quit you. And I'm going to be the first person to watch your TV show, so it better be good. Our thanks to Shawnee Kilgore for joining us this week on the podcast. Be sure to get a copy of the EP Back to Eden with Shawnee Kilgore and Joss Whedon. My thanks to you, the listeners, for just continuing to enjoy this podcast. I love doing this each week. Be sure to get a copy of my audiobook, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. It comes out June 2nd. See you next week on the Break the Business podcast. Mm -hmm.